Good morning. It's eight days exactly till Christmas morning. And I'm incredibly excited about that. Um, like you said earlier, that we, if you haven't been with us before, my name is Jared, and together we've been part of this community for seven years now. And we lead a life group here. Shout out, squad. There we go. Um, and so, yeah, this morning, it's my great privilege to be able to share something with you about something that I get incredibly psyched about, gifts. Um, but first, won't you pray with me? Father God, you, you made us and you know us. We pray that this morning you reveal yourself to us in your word. Holy Spirit, we pray that you, you show us your love, your grace, your mercy, but also your great gift to us in that word. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So, eight days from now, like I've said, two little boys will be apparently asleep in their beds when their dad is going to sneak into their room and whisper one word, presents. He's barely going to be finished saying the word when the one son's going to be upside stepping him like Cheslin, running down the passage yelling, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, and he's going to get to the tree where he's going to find gifts. But when he gets there, he'll be the only one there because his other brother will still be in bed only just now sitting up, and he'll have a confused look on his face and lots of questions on his mind. Questions like, are you serious? He'll ask his dad. How do you know that if I get up and I go to the tree, I'm going to find something there for me? He's going to say, and also, why do you want to give me a present? I'm pretty sure if you look at the history of this year, the last 365 days, I've managed to land myself squarely on the naughty list. So why would you want to give me anything? I don't deserve anything. Maybe he's going to say, also, what did these gifts cost? What did they cost you? But more importantly, what are they going to cost me? What I'm getting at is, is this a bribe? This is to get me to clean my room or to feed the dog or to do the dishes, isn't it? Well... Thanks, but no thanks. I'm onto you, old man, and I'm not buying it. Standard toddler stuff. Parents? Yeah. A moment later, though, dad will smile because down the passage, he's going to hear the other son. And the other son has just unwrapped a gift, and he's saying, Wow, thank you, dad. I love it. So, as ridiculous as this might sound, especially to parents and especially to parents of little ones, this is honestly how we react. We react as one of these two sons. And this morning, I want us to see that Christmas, according to the Bible, tells us about a good gift from a good God that we have to respond to. And so the question we're going to tackle this morning is, how do we respond to that and why? Why do we respond like that? I spoke to my brother earlier this week and he told me a story that might help us color it in. He told me about three sisters and each of them have become incredibly successful and they are now really wealthy, wealthy enough to spoil their old mom on her 90th birthday. And so they do. They buy the gifts, and then, of course, they phone each other to boast about what they've bought. And so the first sister says, you're not going to believe it. I bought mom a magnificent home, eight bedrooms, ensuite, with a private library. The other one says, a home. I bought a car, not just a car, a brand new Mercedes-Benz G-Wagon, black, low profiles, and I got her a chauffeur. Stop that. The third sister says, I did. We all know that mom loves her Bible more than anything else. But now she's getting older and her eyes are failing her and she can't read it anymore. So 
what I've done is I've bought her a parrot. A parrot that has memorized the entire Bible. Yep. All mom has to do is give it the book, the chapter, the verse, and the bird will repeat it. It took 20 months in a monastery, two years, to train the bird, and they made me pledge 250,000 rand every month for the rest of my life, but I tell you, it was worth every cent. A week later, mom writes each of them a message. She says to the first, (laughs) they hate me now, Jen, (laughs) I'm old now, and the house you've given me is massive. It takes forever to clean, and the library books are giving me hay fever. Please sell the house. To the second, she writes, Roxanne, what were you thinking? A car? I don't travel anymore. And it's kitsch, and the driver's rude. Please fire him, sell the car. It's doing well so far. The third one, though, she writes, Gwyneth, you're the only one of my children who knows me. Thank you for the good sense you put into my gift. The chicken, once I'd cooked it, was delicious. (laughs) And it is funny, but it says a lot about how we receive gifts. So if the great gift that I want to tell you about this morning comes from the Bible, maybe we can find an example in the Bible of how to respond to that. So up on the screen behind me, we'll read along in Luke 1. It tells the story... And we find it says, Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said, Don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. He'll be a joy and a delight to you. And he'll bring, and and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He's never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit from birth. It is. <laughs> He's, uh, so it says, many people, many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God. And he'll go on before the Lord, the Messiah, in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. But this is Zechariah's response. He says, how can I be sure of this? The message says, how do you expect me to believe this? So then the angel responds, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you about this good news. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day it happens because you didn't believe my word, which will come true at the proper time. So we're not off to a great start. This man, Zechariah, has just been told that he's going to be the father of John the Baptist. In Jesus' earthly ministry, he honored John the Baptist as the greatest man to ever be born of a woman. And here, the father, the, his father-to-be doesn't respond particularly well to the promise of the gift of his son. Okay, well, maybe he's just being practical. Gabriel tells him that he's going to have a child, but he knows, Zechariah knows that he's old, and his wife is old. Surely he's allowed to ask. The trouble is we get his background. Luke makes a point of telling us that Zechariah was a priest, and not just a priest, a priest of a high order, and that he and his wife, Elizabeth, come from tribes of priests. So we know that they would have known the Old Testament really well. So Zechariah would know that the words that Gabriel is speaking to him point to the Old Testament prophecies 
about one who would come and make a way for the Messiah. More than that, though, just on a personal level, him and his wife have been praying for a son. And now, in this moment, as we go and read it, he's busy officiating what's basically a prayer meeting, and an angel comes to him and says, your prayer's been heard, but he doesn't hear what Gabriel's saying. He can't accept it. This is God's response to him, his answer to prayer, and he can't accept it. The point is, if anyone should have known and responded excitedly to a promise from an angel about a prayer, it should have been the priest Zechariah. But instead, he acts more like so many of us do. First, he wants proof. He wants surety. How can you be sure? Secondly, he disqualifies himself. He says, I'm too old. She's too old. So even though God is saying, I'm going to give this to you, he disqualifies himself. So let's turn the page and see if we can find a better example. Later on in Luke 1, we read, in the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth. This Gabe gets, goes back and forth more than our Gabe. But <laughs> to a town in the Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. I'm not surprised. It is a weird greeting. But the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary. You've found favor with God. You'll be with child and you'll give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. He'll be great and you'll be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he'll reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. And she asks, how will this be, since I'm a virgin? And then the angel answers, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, she gets the story too, even Elizabeth will be with child. He carries on, but Mary's response to all of this is, I am the Lord's servant. Let it be to me as you have said. So we find the story of a priest who knows the prophecies of God, who's prayed for his son, and he's tried for years, I'm imagining, to get his wife pregnant and to have that son. Then an angel appears and says, you're going to have that son, and he doesn't believe. But a virgin from a tiny backwards town who's... <laughs> just dealing with an angel coming to her and giving her what is probably the most confusing birds and bees story ever told in history, goes, I mean, so what happens? Why do so many of us struggle to accept the great gift that God offers? And in case I'm not being clear, the gift I'm talking about is Jesus. God who came to earth as a man, who lived, who loved, who taught, who was falsely accused, who was tortured, who was crucified until death for the sins of the world, but who then rose again, so that if we accept him, he forgives us, and he gives us an eternal future. We see gifts. We see acts of extreme generosity, and it warms an ancient part of our hearts because we know gifts are good. And then when it comes to the greatest gift, we wonder, we stop, we want surety, we disqualify ourselves. Why? I was talking this over with my brother and he put it like this. I think it's incredible. It'll be up on the screen behind me, but he says the more extravagant the gift, 
the more unbelievable it is to consider that it would be given to us. I'm going to read it again. The more extravagant the gift, the more unbelievable it is to consider that it would be given to us. That's disqualification on our part. We're not worthy in our own view. What he's getting at is that sitting here today, you might be recounting, playing a highlights reel of all the worst things you've done in your life while I'm busy talking. And you're like that second son who says, look, look, if you look at all of that, I've landed myself squarely on the naughty list. You say forgiveness. I say, you don't know what I've done. You don't know how I've lived. You say peace. (laughs) I've seen such violence. I've committed such violence. You say joy. I say my life is a pit filled with shame and guilt and anxiety and it's drowning me. I've been broken by those who are broken. I've been let down by those who were supposed to protect me. I've let down those I'm supposed to protect. So thanks, but no thanks. I'm going to roll over. If that is you to the this morning, can I ask you a favor? Please stop talking to yourself like that. Please stop saying these things, recounting disqualifications and reasons. We love to call them reasons. Earlier I asked if Gabriel wasn't being a little bit harsh in taking away Zachariah's voice for six months. But what I really believe is that he was using that voice to speak words that were hurting him and dishonoring his God. Was he being reprimanded? Yeah. But then God gives him back his voice. And do you, know, do you want to know what he says? Nothing about his age. Nothing about his disqualification. Nothing about the reasons. We find what's called Zechariah's song at the end of Luke 1. His father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and he has redeemed his people. A little later later on, he says, to give his people, give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet in the path of peace. Living in darkness is sometimes simply living in the shadow cast by the guilt we have in our lives. And pop psychology will tell you that that's just negative self-talk, but we know it's more. We find Paul telling the Corinthians that we know these things to be the schemes of Satan. Really. And it's the same tactic he's used since the garden. He says, how can you be sure? Surely you won't die. Surely you aren't that special that that Jesus would surrender himself for you. Surely you don't deserve such a good gift. And you might be sitting there thinking, okay, great. You've told me about a priest and a virgin and two made-up little boys, and you've told me that I really should consider accepting this gift, but what do you know? What do you know? Um, I've told you in the beginning that We lead a life group, and anyone from that life group will tell you that this Bible isn't the one I usually use. This Bible was given to me 30 uh, 30 years ago to the day by someone who loved me very much. And she told me that this tells the story of the gift of God, the gift that he gives us because he loves us. 
And when I was in my teens, I couldn't accept that. I came from a broken family, and it had changed the way I saw the world. I was full of hurt and hate. I'd seen some violence, and it, it made me lie because it was easier. I could, get away, I could find a way through things by just telling half-truths, false-truths. And so this gift, although it was given with the greatest of tensions, had actually just become a painful souvenir. And I left it on a bookshelf, and it gathered dust, and it moved from bookshelf to bookshelf as we moved from house to house. And then something happened years later. The prayers that had been stacked up behind me by faithful people were answered. And around that time, I came back to this book. And I'd forgotten that in the, in the front of it, there was a message written when it was first given to me. And I'd actually glued that message to the front of the book because I didn't want to confront what it said. I didn't want to read those words. But now, after God had done his work, I did. I tore it open. I unwrapped it, I suppose you could say. And this is what it says. 17th of December, 1993. To dearest Jared, wishing you a very happy birthday. May God hold you in the palm of his mighty hand. We love you very much, love granny and granddad. And remember always, the word of the Lord is perfect. Proverbs 30 verse 4. The word of the Lord is perfect. In Zechariah's story, we see that the problem was perfect. His greatest, deepest desire was for a son and he didn't have one. We see that the timing was perfect. He was physically, biologically too old. His wife was physically, biologically too old. We see that the promise was perfect. I'll give you that son, God says. His words, though, his response, that wasn't perfect. Those were disqualifications. Those were lies. Satan tempts us to say, how do you know that if I get up and I go to the tree, I'm going to find anything? He has to. He has to get us to believe words like broken and worthless and pointless because he's terrified that we will go to the tree and we will find the gift because that gift is a word, the word, the way, the truth, the life. This morning, I want to remind us of the word that John starts his gospel with. It says, in the beginning was the word and the word was God. The word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness hasn't understood it. Later, he says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The word of the Lord is truth. This is his truth. He's saying that since the time he created you, in fact, just before, he loved you. And even though we believed the first line, we turned away from him and we walked. And then sometimes we walked and ran through all the pages of the story. Do you know what? He kept chasing us. He kept chasing you. In the story that I told in the beginning, I think the great danger is that we stop short looking at just the response of the two boys. Because we read that the father came into the room 
with one word, presence. He says, I'm not here to tell you to make your bed and to clean up this room. That is good, and we'll get to that. But the first thing I want you to hear from me is that I have something to give you because I love you, because you're my sons. A good friend of mine loves Galatians 4, verse 5 to 6, and he's right to love it. It says, because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. And the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you're a son, God has made you also an heir. The first son doesn't jump up because he knows exactly what's waiting at the tree. He couldn't know. He jumps up because he knows his dad. And he knows his dad loves him. That suggests what's waiting at the tree. And so that's the one who reminds us about the only true gift of Christmas, a loving father. So if you're sitting here with a confused look on your face and questions on your mind, please, please get up, run down the passage, run to the foot of the tree, the cross, because there you will find a gift too perfect to elicit any response other than what the first boy says. Wow. Wow. Thank you, Dad. I love it. Or as Mary said, I am the Lord's servant. Let it be to me as you have said. Not us, not our words, not our disqualifications. His word. And if you have accepted this gift, but you've walked around with it or left it on a bookshelf for years because you don't want to confront the promises that are in it, please, this Christmas, unwrap this because you'll find the loving words of a father in it. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this truth. We thank you for the gift of your son. You came to us. We didn't have to try and find you, Father God. We thank you, Jesus, that you did that. You unwrapped yourself for us on the cross, that you bled, that you died that you took all of our imperfections onto you, Lord. This morning we say, please, can we have that gift? Can we have your truth, not our truths? Can we be fulfilled by what you say you want to give us, not what we think we should get? Thank you for loving us. Thank you for coming into the room and for whispering presence. This, this I give to you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, in your holy name, amen.